Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week as always. Well, I wouldn't say as always, but as frequently with Party <laughs> Kadri. How's it going, Party? I'm doing well, doing well. Rested up after a long, uh, long, many hours of drafts. Yeah, lots of drafts. So it felt a little bit like the, the week was long and the weekend was longer. Um, we had two drafts this week which is, we were just chatting before we got started. You know, this is probably going to be, well, not probably, this is, this is going to be, we're going to take a week off next week. So this is going to be the last episode of the year. And usually we do like a reflection or we talk about like our wish list for the upcoming year on this episode, but there's too much stuff to talk about to even get there this year. Um, so maybe just start, we, we always start generally, Pardeep, what did you think of, or what have you thought of the last couple weeks of NWCL activity being quite frankly, just like so aggressive after the season ended um, and doing two drafts in one week. Well, ag- well, it definitely feels aggressive because there are two teams that are in desperate need of players. <laughs> True. Um, but you know, it, it is, it feels a little overwhelming to just get all this information at once, but I have to imagine the teams will be happy to go, uh, to have a little bit more lead up time to get their rosters sorted before the season starts, especially since it's going to start a little bit earlier this year. Right. We year. did. Yeah. Yeah. We got, we got that, that information as well, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but yeah, I think that obviously there were a number of factors going into them doing these drafts. Now, I think the expansion draft is sort of self-explanatory San Diego and angel city need time the they don't call it the college draft anymore but i'm going to call it that just for clarity because we had two drafts so the college draft being moved up is interesting right because usually they do that in january you wonder if there are a number of different factors there if it has something to do with the cba that they're negotiating with players if it has to do with just getting things settled for college students after they've come out of of their their fall season because there was some confusion last year who can say um, I think that that was a little bit less effective. And again, we'll talk about that in part two, but let's focus on the, the, on the expansion draft because it's interesting to me. We have two teams. It's, it just is, it's becoming increasingly clear that angel city has had more time than San Diego has. And the reason why it feels that way to me is angel city has spent the last week or two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, picking up players that are going to be on their roster. San Diego is still in this stage of making deals in a way. And and this came out in the expansion draft. Let's run over the results real quick. Um, If I can find them. (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of information. Okay, yes. So the expansion draft begins with Angel City picking Danny Weatherholt from O.L. Reign. Uh, in something of a surprise, this is where we're like, oh, this is going in a certain direction. San Diego took Christy Mewis out of the Houston Dash second. And third, Angel City took Claire Emsley from the Orlando Pride. Um, we found out later that there were some, uh, or wait, no, they they had a, uh, I'm about to get myself confused. I'm just going to read the list. San Diego then takes Kristen McNabb from OL Reign. Angel City takes Jasmine Spencer from the Houston Dash. San Diego then passed. Angel City took Paige Nielsen from the Washington Spirit. San Diego passed again. And then San Diego finally did take Kaylee Real Racing Louisville. Um, 
Casey Stoney said this week that they just wanted to end on some activity, which is why they passed twice before picking, but it was kind of a funny process. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Initial thoughts, you know, San Diego, the Christy Mewis trade is maybe the, the biggest indicator here that San Diego is not finished making deals. Um, yeah. What, what were your thoughts? Initial thoughts on, on the expansion? Um, uh, outside of San Diego doing a little bit of a weird uh, little chaos thing with the passes, uh, <laughs> which is funny. Um, clearly, San Diego wanted to get some good defensive pieces. Actually, I thought there were a lot of good defensively minded players that were drafted by both teams. Angel City probably were slightly more balanced by also picking two forwards. But yeah, yeah, the first thought I had was that clearly there were some really good defensive options to take, which made sense because both teams needed players in that category. Yes. And I just remembered the thing that I have thought um, when I was saying that, which is that, yes. So, so the, the angel city taking Claire Emsley was interesting because she is currently playing for Everton. So that's more of a rights deal. Um, But it felt, we found out later that they had something of a handshake deal with Orlando to not take any of the players who currently are playing for Orlando in exchange for goalkeeper, Brittany Wilson. She was, she was sent over to angel city this week. Um, yeah. So let's talk about, let's talk about that a little bit though, too. Cause angel city comes in, picks up players, right? We had some other teams kind of get involved here, right? Gotham got involved, which is where the rights to Christy Mewis eventually landed. Um, where ultimately San Diego, got sort of a net profit of $50,000 in allocation money for facilitating this deal in that they lost $150,000 by taking her. They gained $200,000 from Gotham for sending her over there. Um, We also saw the Alex Morgan deal be finalized with the Orlando pride in San Diego. We found out that what they got back there was $275,000 in allocation money and Anne had James Portland did at least get that mechanism of that trade that we, that the equalizer had reported um, of sending Amira Ali and Kristen Westfall to San Diego that were like the only news there is just that San Diego didn't back on that deal. They, they honored that deal. They did not take from the Portland thorns and then Houston. And this will, this will carry into the second segment when we start talking about college draft Houston Walked away with quite a bit of cash. They lose Mewis, right? And you're compensated by the league. $150,000 in allocation money for losing an allocated player. And God bless Christy Mewis. Last deal, right? Last deal like this ever because allocation is going away. Um, And then they also dealt their first round pick in this year's college draft for another $125,000 to Angel City. So ultimately, right, coming out of this, OL Rain lost two good players and didn't really get anything back. Um, the Dash lost two good players, but they walked away with a lot of money. And similarly, Orlando, in the deal that we already knew was coming, they also walked away with quite a bit of money. Um, so do you think that some teams did a better job? And I want to be very careful about this because I, I don't totally love talking about players as assets. But when we're talking about player movement, requested player movement and getting actual assets back like draft picks and money, do you think some teams made out better here than others did? I think, I mean, the first team that I thought of that 
uh, in all of this was the Houston Dash because mm-hmm. they have they lost two players, and in the in the college draft, which we'll obviously get to later, they only picked up one. Right. So they and and at the very least, and Christy Mew is somebody who was there for several years, was a really big part of that team. That's going to be somebody they really need to replace. So they've got quite a big project on their hands now. But the best way to start a new project is to have lots of allocation money. Very so true. that I think they, I think they ended up get, uh, putting themselves in the best position if they were going to lose that many players or just not have a lot of players come back right away. That's probably the best way for them to do it. The rain is interesting too. And I was thinking about them for a little while. And remember, they now have that. Uh, they had that trade they made on draft on college draft day, where Phoebe McLernan came right in exchange for Celia and Leah Pruitt, who went to the Pride. Still think there might be some moves to be made there. Um, and who was the other team you mentioned? The Pride, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good valuation for Alex Morgan, I think. Very fascinating to see what they do with everything, basically. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and it became clear as well, and, and we don't talk about this as much on this particular podcast, but it, it became clear when, when San Diego sort of jumped the gun a little bit in announcing Alex Morgan that San Diego's desire for her is absolutely on the field, right? Very good player. But it's a little bit off the field, too. And I think maybe we've, we've discounted the fact that San, the San Diego project, this time last year, we were talking about Sacramento, right? Like, it, it's a little bit, it's happening a little bit faster. They need a little bit more run-up, right? They, they, they release their crest and colors. Um, they need a little bit more hype, I guess. They don't have the run-up that Angel City had, and Angel City's kind of off, I mean, you know, no pun intended, but they're kind of off the ground already, whereas um, San Diego is still kind of getting started. And that was why I also thought that Christy Mewis deal was interesting because, again, that was a pick in the, in the expansion draft that ultimately is not going to play for San Diego. And all San Diego really got out of that deal was $50,000 in allocation money, which, as we've seen, certainly in terms of, I don't know about wages, but in terms of actual trades is not that much. Um, you know, for example, as a comparison, you know, the Washington spirit gave away $85,000 for a second round draft pick in, in the college draft. So do you feel like you're getting a clearer picture of what San Diego is going to look like? The midfield thing is funny. And, and we'll yeah. talk about that more <laughs> in segment two, I think as well, but I don't know. I have a, I've, I will say that I have a clearer picture right now of Angel City than San Diego, I think. Yeah, I think, I mean, for starters, I think the Angel City uh, roster is a little bit more balanced right now. Um, you know, I feel half and half about San Diego. I feel like there was some clear vision in the expansion draft they wanted. Again, they wanted some quality defensive players. They wanted to fill in that defense a little more. I got that. I still have a lot of questions. I just like, I feel like sometimes I'm, I feel like we're getting information slowly. Right. So I, I do, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm particularly concerned about them. And at the end of the day, they had just so little run up time and we know how 
that can just be hard for any expansion team. We, right. we, this league has a very well documented history of that. Right. But, you know, I think it's okay that the answers are coming slowly. I think it's, I just think it is what it is, you know? Yeah. And I think it, the energy out of San Diego is that is not to, is for fans not to panic essentially. Um, and, you know, we got this framework with this indicator that probably preseason will start in February again this year. And um, the European transfer window opens up in January. That's where Casey Stoney has a lot of connections. Right. So I think that there is an element of patience, but it is kind of funny because this is the big event, right. That we were expecting to finally kind of have an idea of these teams coming together. And, and it's really only happening for one team. Um, let's talk about some other moves that, that were made this week. Well, maybe one kind of tying off is this Gotham element of, of the Christy Mewis deal. Uh, we don't know for sure what Christy Mewis's plans are. Obviously there's been some conjecture. I mean, she's been in England, right? We know that. And we know that um, she might be training with uh, Tottenham Hotspur right now. I don't know if that is before a loan of some kind or a, a short-term transfer of some kind. Um, I'm not sure Gotham knows either though. I'm obviously, I think they probably spoke to Mewis, um, beforehand, but, uh, they are making some moves, right? They, they pick up Christy Mewis. They pick up Ali Krieger. They pick up Ashlyn Harris. Um, I think the thing, it's the same question as before, and we don't know the answer to it, but, and Gotham is picking up a lot of big names who have had success in the past. Um, if on the international level, if not always at the club level, they're also getting older though. Yeah. And it's an interesting choice. So maybe I'll just ask you the philosophical question that everybody's kind of wondering, uh, where do you rate experience versus youth party? Um, in a win now situation, which is what they are sort of portraying. I think, I think, if you're going to do win now perfectly, you probably have to get players who are more in their prime and less so after their prime. That's not to criticize Ashlyn Harris or Ali Krieger in any particular way. Right. I think if you look at just recent form for both of them, they, I mean, Ashlyn Harris had had a very good season for Orlando in 2021. Ali Krieger is still a, a, really useful player to have. But I understand at the same time why you would want somebody with that type of veteran leadership there. Um, and I mean, again, like, like I said, they have the playing ability. I don't, I wouldn't question that. The veteran leadership, I think, is a cool idea, especially if you maybe plan on integrating some younger people in like younger than Christy Mewis, which Gotham do have a couple of those people on their roster. Um, yeah, to me, but back to your initial question, if you're going to win now, you want to get people maybe in the Christy Mewis age, not a lot older than that. Not a lot. Uh, well, younger than that could be fine. But I am getting some pretty strong win now vibes from them. Still early days in the offseason, though. Yeah, it puts you, I think it just puts you under a lot of pressure, to be completely honest. It, it reminds me a little bit of the U.S. and Tokyo, right? Where we, we had this conversation this year about if... And, and there's this added element as well, which is that it, it is kind of a blown-up roster. It's a lot of new faces. Um, 
it takes time. It really does take time for a new group of players to, to mesh and to sort of figure that chemistry out. And so it's hard, I think, to in a club situation, especially in an NWSL situation, to do win now with a whole new group. Um, I think it's a big task for, for Scott Parkinson, and it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out, especially very again bold. with the understanding. Yeah, especially with the understanding, again, that I'm not sure they're getting Christy Mewis right away. Um, so let's talk about some other teams that are making moves. Racing Louisville. Racing Louisville yeah. made some major moves. They were announced on, on Friday night. Um, an interesting situation, to be completely honest, for me with Racing Louisville because the... Well, just as, you know, a quick rundown, they, um, oh my gosh, sorry. My notes are all over the place. Um, okay. It was a busy week. (laughs) Yes. So they sent defender Julia Ashley to the Houston dash. They sent Savannah McCaskill to angel city. Um, they did get a high draft pick. They got, um, that, that high draft pick, um, I believe the sixth sent the high draft pick. Yeah, so 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 Louisville Louisville got Louisville got a a draft pick for Savannah McCaskill in addition to allocation money. Um, so let's talk about the players out before we talk about the big player in. Um, this has the feeling of requested trades, right? A little yes. bit, especially. I mean, J- Julia Ashley is a player that has dealt with injury on and off um, for her entire professional career. Um, Savannah McCaskill. She was left unprotected in the expansion draft. There's that. And then traded for a decent amount of assets back, right? They get that high draft pick, which which turned into a good player for them. But um, you kind of feel like racing Louisville, and we talked about this a little bit last week, is kind of flying under the radar of a team that has quite a few players who are very, very happy to be there, but maybe a couple of players who needed a change of pace after last year. Um, so does that set off alarm bells for you or does it just feel like another one of these things that a number, a number of teams are dealing with? I mean, what is, what is the most succinct way to say this? Cause I mean, it, it really feels like it could be a number of different things. It maybe feels like, you know what? It's not these players' fault that they need a clean break, but maybe this clean break will be the best for both parties, right? Um, you know, you're hoping that Louisville would take this, I mean, just the opportunity of a new coach, not necessarily a whole new squad, which it kind of probably will be by the time the 2022 season starts, to just sort of change some of the culture problems that were very obviously there this year. But I think it speaks also to a problem that exists at multiple clubs and obviously outside of the NWSL too. A coach might be the problem, but you always have questions about who hired the coach and maybe if anybody enabled the coach up until it got to a point that they had to fire the coach. Right. You know, like, I can understand any player being totally sour on Louisville out of just maybe the Christy Holly experience alone, but I can also understand maybe a player being sour on Louisville 
outside of just the Christy Holly experience. Maybe it is something else. And you have to hope that, I mean, like the, like I said, the optimistic view is that maybe the clean break for players means, you know, they get a fresh start and hopefully a really healthy environment for them. And that Louisville take the chance to create a healthy environment themselves. But you just, I don't know if there's really anything to take away from the NWSL in 2021. It's just that you don't quite know if the healthy workplace is being prioritized or if the folks in charge of creating healthy workplaces are doing a good enough job in trying to make those healthy workplaces a reality. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe what we're seeing a little bit is um, NWSL teams struggling with business as usual and the added responsibility of changing the workplace culture. Um, it doesn't seem like they always have the capacity to do both, and and that's unfortunate, and I think that's why we're seeing some players asked to move. But it's not all doom and gloom, right, for Racing Louisville. <laughs> they did this very dramatically. They announced three trades, each a half hour apart, which is pretty funny. Um, they, it was they, a good way to announce it. Yeah, they ended with a bang, ended with a bang. They're bringing in, again, talk about a player that might just need a change of pace, um, World Cup champion, North Carolina Courage forward, Jessica McDonald is coming to play for Racing Louisville. Um, that's a big deal, right? I, I think oh, for that sure. this is the first time in a while we've seen a player ask to, to go to Louisville, right? And I think yeah. it's also just another element of what's going on at North Carolina and North Carolina has been doing a very strategic rebuild, right? They've picked up some very good pieces, some very exciting young players, um, both in the previous week and in the draft, um, made a weird move (laughs) late last night. We'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but yeah, their reset, their reset seems a little bit more complete, right? Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, we were just talking about teams. You see the vision. Do you not see the vision? I think North Carolina is sending a relatively clear vision about what they're trying to be in 2022. I I understand the moves there. You know, I mean, on the, I mean, if you want to just go back to Jess McDonald going to Louisville, that's a player like you said, probably one of the very few that has asked to be in Louisville. I think we probably touched on it last week, how Louisville is not yet putting themselves on the map as a place to be. Um, And, you know, on the pitch that she will be very useful for them. It's a team that I'm, you know, could use goals. I think there are, I, we can talk about this again in the second part, but there are a lot of teams that I felt added a lot of attacking options, but just McDonald. And probably from a culture standpoint might be helpful, you know, but yeah. definitely. Yeah. That's a big move for them. Big, it is a big, big move, move for them. I, I rate Jessica McDonald a lot. And I think that she's, she's a player that obviously has moved around the league quite a bit in her career. Um, and I think that you're right, that she is someone, her, her role is so specific, right? She is really good in the air. She has that long throw. She is someone that you can use as like a quick burn starter or bring her in as a sub. Um, She's very difficult for defenses to handle. Um, But yeah, I mean, she's also a proven winner, right? And then I think that there is a certain intensity to that, that that might be good for the racing Louisville locker room as well. 
Um, yeah, I think it's a big vote of confidence for Louisville that Jessica McDonald is willing to be there. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. It's it's interesting, right? You know, you again, you hear players not always have the most amazing experiences at these clubs. And then you see other players taking a chance, you know, and I, I, I always find that to be to be fascinating. And it is sort of that um, world keeps turning sort of a feeling. Um, and you do hope you just hope ultimately that the teams are committed to to creating an environment that is worthy of the players that choose to be there. Um, yeah. Any final thoughts on on what led up to the draft or wild week? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of I think we're seeing the multifaceted definition of fresh starts. Yeah. Across sure. this league, because I think I mean, the Jessica McDonald trade speaks to that uh, for me also is that. It affords obviously the player a fresh start, but I think it also affords the club the ability to claim a fresh start as well if they want it. Yeah, I think maybe my my final thought is I definitely, you know, I think team or fans of teams or teams themselves are sort of dreading this expansion process. But I, I was I found it to be pretty exciting, to be honest, um, talking to San Diego, talking to Angel City seeing them put their squads together. Obviously, Angel City announced that they have over 13,000 season tickets sold already for 2022. Um, Talk about fresh starts. It's good. It's good to have good things to talk about um, at the end of this year. And I think that it's sort of a a much-needed sense of positivity because we're still seeing some of these issues with these older clubs. And I think that that is... uh, it feels like maybe, you know, there's a way out towards having more positive stories next year. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least from a roster perspective, I think probably every single club has something good they can take away from the last month. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Very good. So that was the expansion draft and trades. We'll be talking about the college draft in part two. Be back in just a minute. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. Please give us a a high rating. Give us a review on Apple Podcasts or where you find your podcast streaming. Helps us out. Helps people find us a lot. Um, Just, yeah, give us a rating. Give us a review. So let's talk college draft. This, This draft was interesting, I think, in... Well, I always find the draft interesting because you can go into it and I'll be honest, you know, I, I watch, I watch college soccer. I probably mostly watch the bigger programs, right? The more established programs. I have to admit, I am not someone who like spends their weekend watching big 10 soccer or, or anything like that. Um, I think this draft was interesting in value because we did not see a lot of asset movement at the beginning, right? We saw a lot of people stick with their picks. Well, throughout the draft, really. Um, partially just because I think so many assets have swapped over the last couple of weeks. I don't know what anybody even had to trade in or out. Um, <laughs> you know, but I think I think it was a good draft. I think that it's always a surprise where you have your top names and then you have some names pop up and you look at their stats and you do a little bit more digging and you think, Oh, this will be, this player is going to be a great addition to, to this team's locker room. And so, um, I don't know. I enjoyed the first two hours of the draft. I think, um, yeah, it's very long. <laughs> it, <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. 50 but, picks. It wasn't going to be short. <laughs> no, 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 no. All right. But let's talk top line first. Let's just talk, talk the big names. Naomi Gurma. 
goes first, which is awesome. To be honest, I think that I'll admit even myself, I think a lot of people were thinking that Jalen Howell were going, was going to be that pick as much. And I, I, I keep trying to emphasize this. It's just about team fit. It's not about quality of player. I think that the Gurma is a fabulous soccer player. She's very calm. She has fantastic positional awareness. Her distribution is very good. Um, but she is a defender, though she can theoretically play defensive midfielder. I don't know if that's what San Diego was thinking when they picked her. Um, but just sort of an interesting fit, right? Because that's not quite what San Diego needs right now. What was your take on it? Yeah. Um, obviously not surprised that someone like Guillermo could go first. <laughs> she... But yeah, in terms of how she fits in with San Diego's roster, which kind of doesn't make sense right now, I sort of continued that doesn't make sense vibe that I have from them. Uh, But I think they ended up picking a lot of flexible draft picks. Uh, Just, yeah. So... You know, look, at the end of the day, this is why I said that I felt... I mean, it sort of feels like a continuation of the defense-first expansion draft that they had. Yeah, San Diego still. I feel like I'm getting answers slowly, but not enough to have a strong conviction on where they're going other than, at least in the case of drafting Guillermo first, was, hey, let's pick up a really solid player and let people find out what we're going to do with uh, that player later. (laughs) Well, right. I think, you know, an underrated element of this is sometimes we've seen this in the past. Actually, we've seen teams draft players that you think, "Mm, how does this fit into this is, this is already a position of depth, but I don't know. Sometimes these teams interview these players and they walk away with the interview with, with a particular player and go, I can't pass on this person. Like it doesn't matter how they fit into the team. This is a a generational talent and they impress me so much that I want that person on my team. And I think that that might've been what happened here. And I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I think that's a perfectly fine thing to do, honestly. Yeah. And then you figure it out later. You say, I'm, I, I'm making a choice based on what I think about this person and this player and, and we'll let the rest fall as it may. Um, which is a kind of, it's a good decision. I think that that should be weighed a little bit heavier with the college draft because they're quite young, right? This is a player yeah. that's going to be with you for a very long time. This is not a, a pick that you make just for this year or just for next year. It's it's building on something. And so I think it makes a lot of sense that a player like, like Irma would be that player. Um, and I think her flexibility helps in that argument completely, you know? Yeah, they, right. Right. It'll be fine to give her shots to play a couple of different roles and see what suits her best and what suits the team best. You know, and again, these seasons are getting longer. Right. There, there should be opportunities, obviously, not just for someone like Guillermo, but for a few draft or several draft picks. Yeah. At different teams, you know. Yeah, of course. Um, so then Racing Louisville really lucked out as well, um, though, obviously, if it I mean, it kind of, you know, I think that. Jalen Howell falling to two and being picked by Louisville seems like an obvious fit. They desperately needed number six. That's who she is. Um, she's a bit of a bruiser in, in the style of Julie Ertz. Um, if it had been Guillermo, though, they would have, that also would have been a very good fit because they also need center back. So they just need yeah. that spine. So they, they were in kind of a can't lose situation as well. Um, 
but yeah, Howell's going to be huge for them. And you have to think that she's going to be playing a lot, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we were talking last week about players, maybe finding it a little harder these days to walk straight into the lineup. But I think if anyone will probably get a ton of minutes from the get go, it'll be Jalen Howell at Louisville. And I think it, it also speaks a little bit to the style of play that Kim Bjorkgren said he wanted them to play in, in his opening press conference. Seems yeah. like, I don't think, I don't think they were going to go wrong either way, basically. Yeah. I think that Louisville, Louisville just needed to make themselves harder to play essentially. Um, in that they, they were very good, especially in the early of the season um, at scoring goals, at getting the ball moving. Um, a lot of that you maybe contribute to Savannah McCaskill as well. So it's interesting to see what they'll look like without her, but they just need to that, that again, that spine, that defense, that core um, just needed shoring up. It, it was so, so leaky and especially in the second half of the season. And so I think that um, it's going to be huge for them to have players that quality. Um, so then again, this is like when someone who doesn't watch the college game a ton, uh, a couple of choices at the third and the fourth spot that were a little bit surprising, I guess um, North Carolina courage, pick Emily gray, who is a midfielder out of Virginia tech. And then Louisville, you think, Oh great. Louisville is going to take me official. No, they actually take Savannah DeMello, who is another midfielder out of USC. DeMello has played with the U-20s. You know, she's someone who's been in the U.S. Women's National Team Development Pipeline. Um, She tore her Achilles, I think, in college, and I think that that set her value down a little bit. But, um, again, I think most of these are just choices for team fit. Uh, North Carolina really needing to fix that midfield and Louisville feeling the same, right? Yeah. And I think that's also a real, it's a good way to honor the players you pick too, because you're not drafting players who, oops, you know, you're a great player, but now you don't have room on my team. So you're right. not going to develop. Um, but yeah, the best moves are always ones that beneficial for the team, beneficial for the player. Again, you're looking at teams that have plans that make sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then in the fifth spot, you know, this is the player that I think a lot of people thought was going to go third. She drops a couple, drops a couple picks. Um, Mia Fischel out of UCLA. This one's kind of funny is the wrong word, but it's a little bit fitting, right? She's going to go join her college coach. <laughs> Long time no see. Yeah, right. At the pro level. Um, going to go play for the Orlando Pride. And I think that that is. It's luck, I guess, that she fell to the pride, but. She's exactly what they need, right? They, they've yes. lost Alex Morgan. They need to develop attackers. They need someone who can play well off of Sydney LaRue, who is probably going to be the center point of that attack. Um, and I think Mia Fischel, too, is underrated with her ball progression skills. And so she's someone, too, that you think if you have a team that struggles sometimes with getting the ball through the midfield, she is someone that you could have sit back a little bit and, and help with that. And I think that that could be very, and talk about versatility, right? I think that that would be yeah. very important for the pride. Um, yeah, no, the, that was basically what I have, uh, what I was thinking too, you know, basically when the pride hired Amanda Cromwell, I think this was probably one of those moves that you very clearly envision for uh, beforehand, you know, they're getting rid of a lot of their old, uh, their uh, veterans, plenty of space for 
younger talent to come in and take a spot. Mia Fischel, I think, is a move that really makes sense for them. I know Amanda Cromwell was talking about trading up to get her. Yeah, they, they didn't even didn't. have to, did they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's good for all parties involved. Yeah. Um, we actually saw a lot of that, I thought, on Saturday of players that you thought teams were going to have to move to go get, and then they just ended up not having to um, because all these teams have such different needs that even players that you think would go right away, um, that they, they, there were interesting spots where they ended up. Um, so rest of the first round, uh, North Carolina courage takes Deanna Ordonez, who is a fantastic forward out of the university of Virginia. Um, and then I would say we got through this top six and those were maybe our top prospects, right? Those just at that point. And then the rest of these become names where you're a little bit like, Oh, okay. Um, so O.L. Rain picked up Jeanette Kayan. I believe that's how her name is pronounced. Don't don't yell at me if it's not. She's a forward out of St. John's. Um, San Diego Wave takes Marlene Shimmer. Um, Orlando Pride takes Caitlin Cosme. And the Orlando Pride, they have the 10th and the 11th. They also take Julie Doyle, who is a forward out of Santa Clara. And then the first round ends with the Courage taking Caitlin Fregulia, who is a defender. Um so I, I think maybe the, the most interesting thing here is you look at sort of the way the picks sort of lay out, right? Angel City did not pick until I think late in the second round, maybe early in the third. Um, Houston Dash did not pick until quite late in the draft. Chicago Red Stars did not pick until late in the draft. Uh, Washington Spirit actually spent some money to move up in the draft just to get to the second round. Um, but we saw North Carolina pick quite a few players. We saw the Orlando Pride pick quite a few players. San Diego and um, racing Louisville and Kansas city had one in there as well. So it, it was interesting to see some teams really build through the draft and some teams not build through the draft at all. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I feel like at this point in the marketplace of women's soccer, I'm not that surprised that the draft will be a priority for some and not for others. I mean, I think, you know, if you've got picks lower, in the draft, you're probably looking at more depth picks. And you can get depth from a lot of places when there are this many teams, you know, in, in the entire world. I, I understand the strategy. I feel like it was sort of a natural progression of events. I also think, based on what we've heard, that a number of teams maybe tried to trade up to, to get into the first part of the first round, and they were told no. There's this element as, as well of, of these teams with these top picks understanding that they have a limited number of, of top prospects and saying like, no, we're sticking with our pick. We want our player. Um, which isn't always what we see, right? What was, what was the draft? Was it the 2020 draft that began with just like total utter chaos? I was, was it where, or was it 2019? No, 2019 was normal. Cause that's when Tierna Davidson went first. Um, 2020 oh, was when you're we had right. Total, you're right. 2020 was, it was the like chaos sky one. blue moving picks and Portland. And that's when picks, they got like Chicago that, got involved. That was the one where they and, got Mal Pugh. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and then Portland and then yeah, Washington trades up to get Ashley Sanchez. Portland trades up right. to get Sophia Smith and Morgan Weaver right. going one and two. Yeah. Like that sort of a thing. Um, didn't have any of that. And I don't know if it was because it was virtual. I don't know if it's because a lot of the people who made those kinds of trades are gone. You know, Mark Parsons is gone, Richie Burke is gone, Rory Dames is gone, Paul Riley is gone. And and I not for a number of those, no, uh, you know, separate obviously Mark Parsons out of this, but 
not really missed right at this moment. But those were the big personalities that were doing a lot of big personality deals. Um, I think it's also significant that teams probably had less prep time because this draft was not in January, right? It was in December, Um, which is maybe a decent seg to talk a little bit about. This is where this is where if you if you looked at a draft list or you looked or you watched the TV coverage, you might not be like super aware of this this other thing that happened. Um, it really played out on social media and it was social media based, which is that um, Portland Thorns pick. It was their first pick. She was a second round pick. Sydney Nicello, um was found to have. I, I called it. I think I called it like a character issue on Twitter. Um, concerning social media presence, maybe is the best way to put it. Um, and I, I don't, I think maybe the, the best way to sort of get into this is talking about Portland themselves. Cause I, I'm more interested probably in, in talking about the teams and the infrastructure here. Um, Portland admitted that they didn't look at social media before they picked. And I'll ask you if you agree with me, party, I'm sure they're not alone in that. I don't think they're the only oh. team that did not look at social media. They I just happened to pick the wrong player, right? right. I would, I would argue. Uh, I mean, if I had to guess, I would guess none of them looked at social media. I don't, I don't know that it's an industry standard within the NWSL or even other businesses necessarily to look at social media. But that doesn't make it slightly less embarrassing when it takes fans a minute to go through somebody's social feeds and discover something, you know, it, just because nobody else is doing it. And I, I, that, I mean, that's just me guessing. Yeah. Well, I think Doesn't it's, I think it's, they shouldn't be <laughs> right. I mean, I think it's the reality is the reality of the business currently. And I think that, right. You say that not, not all industries look at social media. And I think that that's fine. I think to a certain extent, um, different, different organizations have to draw the line on what they consider to be work relevant. Right. Um, and NWSL players, social media presence is absolutely work relevant though, because if you are branding around a player, you are marketing a player, you are interviewing that player, you are talking about them as part of your locker room culture. Yeah, of course they're public social media as part of the conversation. And so maybe if teams want to believe or believe that it's, not something that should affect footballing decisions. Maybe it has to, because it's, it's this weird thing where it's like the NWSL fan base cares about soccer, but they also really care about these people as people. Um, That's been made very, very clear. And so it does seem like there's this disconnect where these teams, they just want to get better at soccer, but they're kind of missing the point. What do you think party? I think I don't, I don't think it's a good thing that at this point, after everything that has happened in this year alone, that teams, if they're not getting the message that it should be more than just, hey, is this person good at soccer? I don't think it's good if, if they're not getting that. If the, the, I don't think it's good if they're not looking at the rest of it. Because how uh, how blatant does one have to get when you realize, hey, there might be a culture problem across this entire league. 
you know, and I understand what feels tricky about wading into someone's social media accounts. I, I understand completely. But we are talking about a very extreme example here. Right. This, one, not, this one was obvious and it was it was not one thing. Right. I think that we want right. to be really clear about that. It wasn't like one bad tweet she made when she was a teenager. This this seemed to be an accurate reflection of a person's worldview, which was kind of scary, I think. Right. Yeah. And that, and the problem is this worldview it doesn't just directly have a conflict with what the club says is their own views on the world around them, but it seems like these are views on the world that would directly come in conflict with having a healthy relationship with one's teammates and one's yeah. colleagues around the league. Right. You know, we're not. it, it isn't something small like, I don't know, liking a tweet about Taxes. who deserves tax cuts right, and who yeah, doesn't, right? Yeah, right? Exactly, like yeah. I don't, right. right? And I don't think anybody should realistically ask an NWSL team or any similar uh, team or business to be like, "Hey, well, that I don't, I don't, uh, that person's opinions on taxes are disqualifying, right?" But you know. There needs to be a certain amount of due diligence done. And I think the first question is, well, does this person have a worldview that seems to not just. That wouldn't just alienate certain people, but downright lead to having a horrible working relationship with the people they're supposed to have good working relationships with. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we'll see what happens with that. I mean, I think Portland has a decision to make right um, on how they want to handle that. Um, an unforced error for a team that's trying to win back support. And, and I think that that's also a conversation we're going to be having throughout the next couple of months. And and this is also why I think it's relevant um, is that some of this stuff is such a turnoff that fans are walking away. And, and I think that that is an important element as well. Um, So, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, we also saw this week uh, North Carolina courage announced that Jalene Daniels is coming out of retirement Again, you know, no argument against it from a soccer perspective, right? She's she's very good. Um, but again, just a little bit concerning when you talk about someone who, and, and this is also like you talk about sort of this old style NWSL where you have a, a person and you look at the situation, which is someone who um, does not believe that, that gay marriage should be legal, has said that, professed that consistently said that multiple times very Um, openly yes um has been in this i was doing some work last night she's been in open conflict with other people in the league casey stoney has talked about her um ashlyn harris has talked about her it's not just a a fan thing it's it's within the league itself and it's this old style nwsl where you look at the situation you say this looks this seems bad and then you have a club say no it's fine it's all good everyone feels good about it and you're just like, well, why are we playing this game again? Why are we doing this? And and it's it's a it's troubling that we're doing this on the player level um, because the players are the people that we the, that fans feel like they need to be advocating for. So it's one of those tiny. I don't know if you call it a red flag, but it's certainly a, a pink one for what's happening in that locker room. Yeah, right? I mean, with the understanding that players don't have the power dynamic that coaches do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I mean. It really, I think it's, I think it sends a very clear message to a lot of different players that 
the coach was willing to sign uh, bring this person back, that the ownership group, that all of the leaders were willing to bring this person back. And I think they were probably all what, well, Sean Nahas was quoted in the press release. And I think so was Kurt they, they Johnson. Quoted, it was like, it was the whole power structure. It was yeah. Steve Malik, Kurt oh, Johnson Steve Malik, and, yeah. and, and, and Sean Nahas. Yeah. Cause that's, that's a pretty big thing to do. If you're acting like it's just a normal thing. Right. <laughs> and they, and they have some very vague language in the press release about how she had such an, a big impact on and off the pitch that it warranted discussion. And after discussion, we decided it was fine. Right. <laughs> but yeah, I think it sends a really clear message to fans for sure, but a lot of different players around the league and obviously at the courage that, hey, if the, I think to me what it sends, uh, what the message is, it sends is that somebody else's, you know, that, you know, some pretty essential human rights are issues that are up for debate. Well, and it, that, it directly affects a number of her teammates. That's, yeah. the, that's the other thing. This is not like a hypothetical. Right. Um, <laughs> it, right. Um, as long as gay people exist and exist in soccer. And so I think that um, I think there's so much about that North Carolina team that we don't know, right. There was that documentary that never came out. And I think they talked about it a little bit. I think it's really hard to separate Jaylene Daniels's career with Paul Riley. You know, he was a, he was a person who, who gave her a big chance and stuck with her and defended her publicly. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, the ultimate answer is that we don't know. We don't know what's going on in that locker room, but the little that we've heard at least from people outside the locker room, but in the league hasn't been great. And we know how fans feel. And I think that all of those views are increasingly relevant as we try to do this fresh start. It doesn't really feel like one. Um, Yeah. And, and so I don't know, I don't know what happens. I think they're going to lose some ardent supporters. I think that it's interesting how, fans who I believe would still stick with the team if the team was bad at soccer might walk away because of the moves that the team's made to try to get better at soccer. And I think that it's, it's concerning that it doesn't seem like these clubs fully understand that. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, which is I kind mean- of my point, which is kind of my point, which is that I think these, I think these clubs are really struggling with doing being a soccer operations doing soccer operations and understanding that they have a greater responsibility on all this other stuff um right and i mean if you're even if you're so dedicated to the work of soccer operations and maybe you can't get out of the mindset of how does this make our team better on the pitch why would having a player who was who was so openly against gay marriage be better for your locker room, right? Your locker room. Just wh- why would well, that and also be Carson the case? Pickett had a great year. It's one of those things where it's like, who's the depth here? Like, what is this? What is the footballing decision? I don't know. We, we, we don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but um, yeah, I think it put a damper on what was supposed to be a very exciting week. And I think that that's too bad. Um, yeah. And, and I think that also fans have a right to feel how they feel about it. 100%. Absolutely. And, and so it's one of those things where this is not this is not a situation where clubs can say that fans are being unreasonable. I think this is a situation where fans can say clubs are consistently letting them down and they don't know what to do about it. Um 
And they're probably consistently letting down the very players that are at these clubs. Right. Even if they're the ones that aren't as vocal as fans for whatever reason, and all of them valid. They are letting down so many different people. And, and at also, least, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe players can't leave as easily, but if you're, if you're getting, you know, your official supporters group issuing statements the following morning after a Sunday night news dump saying that they find your decision to be completely unacceptable, I right. don't think alienating your most ardent supporters consistently is a very good move in yeah. any capacity. Right. It's not a great business decision. Um, yeah. I mean, I think the final thing I'll end with is if there's one thing that I've learned over this last year is that if something seems bad, it probably is. And there's a lot of obfuscation of information. And obviously not everybody has the exact same experience. But if you see a situation that objectively seems like it's going to be bad for certain players, it probably is. Um, and so that's very concerning. Um I think Portland has the ability here to make good decisions. They can fix this, right? Yes. Um, North Carolina, I don't know. I don't know what they do now um, other than just ride it out, which is very unfortunate, I think. Um, so a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a sad end. to the, Maybe it's fitting. This is the last yeah. episode of the year. It's been a long, tough road, and it seems like we're still walking down it. Oh, um, yeah. Feels like next year we'll have a lot of uh, the same of this year. We'll see what new fresh horrors await us. Um, (laughs) What a way to put it. That was the Um, most honest comment. Yeah. Uh, Congratulations to everybody who was drafted this week. Um, It's it's very, very cool to see some people to see people get their dreams fulfilled. Um, Very exciting to see the expansion draft process come through in what seemed like a positive way that everybody who was selected was amenable to that. That made me really happy. Um, California is going to be rocking next year. And, and that's also very exciting. Um, so for the last time in 2021, I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Thank you so much, Pardeep, for joining me. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and Blue Wire Podcast, our distributor. We will be back with you in 2022.